Last weekend at halftime in the match against Glasgow Warriors, the RDS welcomed the Heineken Cup winning Leinster team that had come back to win after shipping 22 points before ever scoring a try in the 2011 final, and then handily beat Ulster in the 2012 final. Looks like they left some of that magic lying around. It's time to start harping on rugby. Harpen on Rugby. My name is Jeff Pagano and once again I've been joined by my fellow fans to harp on what's going on with Leinster, Ireland and the wider rugby world. This week I'm honoured to be joined by not one but two contributors earning their milestone 25th cap tonight. It's first up it's uh, Mr. Tom Coleman. Welcome sir. Evening Jeff, evening Connor. How's it going? Good to see you. And also here's Connor Cronin. Welcome back sir. Thank you. Good to be back. Can't believe we're on 25 already. I know, I know. But listen, we've got loads to harp on this week, obviously. But uh, before we get to our main topic of discussion, we're just going to start with a feature we call the Front Five. Our focus is generally on Leinster and Ireland, but we like to harp on the wider rugby world as well. And we've picked out five eye-catching, egg-chasing stories from around the rugby sphere so we can offer a few quick thoughts. We're going to start with yourself, Tom. Your first article is from RTE.ie, and the headline is... uh, O'Gara to stay at La Rochelle despite England talks. I think Raj is, as, as uh, you know, he was close to getting the moniker of the new Jay White. Every job that was available, Raj was been mentioned, whether it be Munster, obviously, down the line. But England was the latest thing. This rumour has been going for a few weeks now. I think more so down to the pressure Eddie Jones is under. And uh, the English media aren't happy with, with Jones. And, 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 you know, there's lots of stories leaking out about about uh, coaches leaving and, you know, atmosphere in the camp with coaches especially. So um, O'Gara felt it, you know, necessary to, 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 to talk to La Rochelle and, 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 you know, sign an extension to his deal. So that sort of put a kibosh on that. I think it's the right move for him. Um, you know, he's, he's doing brilliant down there and, and uh, you know, European Cup winners aren't going well in the league again. So more luck to him. So, yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it cuts the rumours out. Obviously, Munster might be the... The eventual place he ends up with, you know, spiritual home and all that sort of stuff. But uh, he's dead right to sign on with La Rochelle. A good club down there. No dramas, no pressure. Um, I have a feeling the, the England job might be a little bit of a mess for a few years yet. I still think they'll probably get to a World Cup semi-final, given the draw. But um, look, it's, it's it could take a while because, it, you know, the, you look at the league situation as well over there with clubs and everything. Um, it's a little bit of a mess going forward. So, uh, you know, I think he's made the right call. Absolutely. I mean, they've got, they have the structures, they have, they have the players, they have, all, they, they seem to have everything set there. They just can't seem to get it going and they need someone at the kind of at the helm to see it through. And he would be a good choice for them from their point of view, but um, he was holding all the cards, even if there was a possibility. Mm. And uh, you know, it definitely made the right choice. And, you know, he was, you know, if he had a contract situation coming up at La Rochelle, it didn't hurt his cause for that news to be going around um, that, 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 that there was, uh, you know, big test jobs going for him as well. So it looks like he's uh, going to sign a new deal there and, uh, you know, more, more power to him as well, you know. OK, so we're going to move on to yourself, Connor. The next article is for you. This is kind of similar. Um, it's that we, we try to look at independent sites down again uh, when we can. And this is from ruck.co.uk. And the headline is Eddie Jones expects to be sacked. Fans unimpressed with replacements. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, the fact that now Raj is out of the, the frame for that job, it's not surprising that they're, um, they're disappointed with some of the options. Um, that article highlights a couple of really important things. One being that, you know, with only one win in November and only five wins out of 12 in the calendar year, that's why Eddie's going to go. Um, and it's a question of, I, I think it's a matter of will he walk or will he be pushed? But it is literally a matter of time. I'm not even sure he'll make it to the Six Nations, and especially not with this review that's been going on. And they're bandying about the name Connor O'Shea as a potential caretaker manager while you know while they find someone more permanent. And I was in a chat this week where a few people were like, oh, but Connor O'Shea, you know, he hasn't done anything great. And they were having a bit of a go at him over his time in Italy. Um, I think y- you can't judge him on his time in Italy because he didn't have the squad. If you put him in the Italy job now, I'd love to see what he'd do with those fellas he'd been building up from being 16 and 17 years of age and encouraging into the game and encouraging through a pathway and all that. But that's a whole other, uh, whole other discussion. Um, a couple of other names that Bandy's about in there, uh, Gatland being one, Borthwick, uh, Cockrell, and the one that I think they've absolutely no chance of being Scott Robertson. Oh, yeah. um, that's that's never going to happen. Um, I think I think it's just a bit um, it's a bit strange that O'Shea's on this panel that's going to make the overall decision of whether or not Eddie stays or goes. Um, and you know what the article talks about is how they've been canvassing some of the senior players, you know, asking questions. What do you think? Should he stay or not? And if you're asking the players, I, I think you've got to have your mind made up already when that happens. I think you have to make that decision now and say, actually, we're asking the players just to give them a warning more than anything else that somebody else is coming in. Um, I think Borthwick probably be the most likely, but he'd be unlikely to take it as a permanent position until after the World Cup, because you know who wants to be who wants to be the coach that brings them to a World Cup and then doesn't make it to a semi final in spite of the draw. Okay, so that's the, that's that. We'll see how that goes. We're going to move back to yourself, Tom, and your headline is from the Irish Examiner, and we're starting to look at the action from this weekend. It's a monster momentum gathers with bonus point win at Edinburgh. Yeah, I think momentum gathers is the key word. I think that's three wins in a row now if you count the uh, South African A game that they had down in Porky Cueve. So, look, it was, you know, uh, the three wins is badly needed. Obviously, we know what went on before that. Um, they had a good win against Connacht. Connacht's put it up to them the last few years. And to be honest, any team that scores 38 points away in Edinburgh, that's a great result. Do you know what I mean? Edinburgh, a tricky team to beat over there. I'd certainly be delighted to get that sort of a scoreline over there at any stage throughout the season. So, um, and they started badly in this game. I think they were 12 0 down. It looked like it was back to Munster before the um, the November internationals, but they, they scored a lot of unanswered points and, and got the win. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they'll build on that now as, as more of the Irish guys filter back in. Even in saying that, a lot of the Irish guys have played every bloody minute of a game down there. Tyke Byrne and Peter O'Mahony, especially, seems to have played a lot of minutes down there. But they've, they've Toulouse next week before they go to Northampton and then we visit there on Stevens' day and then they have to go to Belfast on the 1st of January. So, you know, really Munster, the Munster story about will this series of games break their season or make their season is going to be an on-running thing for the rest of the year given the precariousness of the position they're in the table. 
So, um, look, they've done what they've done in the last three games um, just to give them a bit of confidence going into these harder four games because Northampton are playing well, you know, in Franklin the Gardens, going well in the Premiership. Toulouse or Toulouse. Um, and then, obviously, they'll have us on Stevens's and, and, and up to Ravenhill. So, so, this is definitely a step up from what they've had in the last three weeks. But, uh, look, as I said, a 38-point win over or a 38-point scoreline over in, in Edinburgh is a fantastic result. Absolutely, and it uh, means they finally uh, crept back into the uh, the top eight. But like you say, um, you know, there's still a lot of work to do on that front. There's teams behind them with games in hand and stuff. So, and they've got tricky run of games coming up. So, uh, th- 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 there's a lot for them to do. But this was this as taken on its own in isolation. This match, it was uh, it was impressive to see them uh, come from behind. Although Conor Leinster did a bit of a hold my beer thing uh, the following day, but we'll, we'll be get, we'll be getting to that later. Um, listen, we're going back to yourself, Connor. Now um, your article is from the 42.ie. It's by John Fallon. And the headline is Connor get just the boost needed with a bonus point win over Benetton. Yeah. And I, I was just, as I read the article um, struck by the fact that it's Con- only Connacht's fourth win this season. And, I think the way they've been building under Friend over the last few years, you, you might have expected that there'd be more in that. Now, with some of the teams they've already played, um, they they would have been big, hard games, and so it's a little less surprising. But uh, I got to see the second half of that. I missed the first half. Um, I think from the, the, the report will tell you, they made hard work in the first half and 17-7 uh, at time. Um but, and that's in spite of a really promising start, scoring a try in the fourth minute as, as Niall Murray went running down and skinning a fullback and a winger to get from inside his own half to scoring a try, which just, that, that blows my mind completely. Um, I think from that match, I think some of the big takeaways will be uh, Umaga for Treviso, or sorry, for Benetton, um, and him having come from Wasps, you know, they've they've done very well to grab a couple of those Wasps players and they're integrating them really well. And Umaga is definitely the a, a really good signing for them because he was creating things, he was making things happen and you know, forced Connacht to work for it. I mean, they, they end up with a five-try bonus point win, um, but it wasn't made easy for them. And a couple of those Benetton lads... Uh, really didn't make it easy for them. And then, of course, you get an inevitable red card, as is happening so often, um, which I think pretty much closed it off for Benetton at that stage. Um, But, I mean, at at, at that point, it was a little closer, but two quick tries after that, and that sealed it up for Connacht. And a good win, a win they needed. Um, and again, a bit like Munster, a win that builds momentum and pushes them on as they get ready to face Newcastle next weekend in the Challenge Cup. Yep, definitely. Right. So back to yourself, Tom, for the final um, Front Five article. And this is from the Irish Times. And John O'Sullivan uh, wrote an article with the headline, Ireland's wait for World Series Sevens tournament win goes on after a loss to South Africa in Dubai. Just before I mention the sevens, just talking about Connor's point, if anyone's listening in that is in charge of the games in the Langen, the Langen Den, this is the new fan zone, I appreciate looking at Connacht on repeat. I think there was a live game on, the Bulls were playing Cardiff, so I think if, some, if somebody could leave live games on instead of watching Connacht repeats <laughs> uh, before the Leinster game, I think that might be better. But uh, that aside, yeah, look, the sevens is one of the highlights of the weekend. Um, you know, uh, 
we all have to sort of log on to the, the website to catch some of the games, the World, World 7 series. Um, yeah, they just ran out of steam in the final against the Springboks, who who I think we mentioned before the the when Australia beat uh, Fiji in Hong Kong, how unbelievable Fiji's record in 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 Hong Kong is. I think it was the first time they were beaten in I don't know six five six years or something like that, maybe longer. And South Africa seems to have the same uh, run of wins out in the desert in Dubai. I think that's five in a row now or four in a row. So um, it's obviously a good ground for them. Um, I think what told in the end was Ireland's quarter final, which Jordan Conroy won in the last sort of play, and then the American one that went to the semi final went to extra time or sudden death. Uh, maybe told in the end, it's it's in the heat out in Dubai as well. I think just a recovery um, for the Irish guys. Um, obviously, they missed Terry Kennedy, who's taken a sort of year out um, before the World Cup, though he was there as a guest, uh, he was in the stands. Um, but other than that, you know, that's picking on the negatives. I think, you know, since we've become a core team in 2019, that's our second cup final. We've got uh, the, the first been down in Toulouse in the French sevens. And um, yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Just started poorly against South Africa. This, the, you know, there was an intercept that really killed the game. Um, and the South African defence was just, just a bit too hard to handle for Ireland. But um, as I said, I think if I'm being picky, picking out the, the negatives, the positives is it's just how brilliant they've done this. I think they're fourth now on their World Series uh, ladder or joint third or something like that. So, yeah, and I know, you know, it's the, it's the golden line on, on the Harpen pod. This is anytime we talk about the sevens is can we have a series in Dublin, please? Um, it would be fantastic in the summer if we could, uh, if we could, you know, because I think it'd be a, it'd be a huge, a huge weekend for any sporting fan. I think you'd, you'd encourage people who don't normally go to, to rugby per se, just to get into the whole festival side of it and and catch games, you know, whether it be an hour or, or people that might be in and out for the day. So that would be brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, it's amazing how those tournaments work. I mean, the game, you know, three games on the Friday, three games <laughs> on the Saturday. And uh, if you want to follow it, I mean, like you say, they, they stream all the games for free live. It's just a question of there are weird times, like, you know, sometimes 636 in the morning and stuff and you know if you to, to, to just to keep track of them and then of course the women's team is out there as well and then for the men's team they um they didn't win all their matches in the pool stage they got a draw and a defeat they just they just got out of that group but then to go on to the final then some achievement meanwhile the women won all their pool matches but just fell short in the quarterfinal but they still they still did well they moved up one place as well in the standing so you've got two teams to follow in every event and it's uh it's it's it, they, they're both doing well and it's definitely upward progress for both of them which is the which is the main thing there so that's 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 for sure okay so um that's it for the front five as always you'll find all those links in the program notes so now it's time for us to start harping our way through the timeline of our feature match of the week which is of course leinster v ulster in round nine of the united rugby championship as always our match wrap pods are brought to you by the irish rugby store it was a 7.35 p.m. start on Saturday at the RDS. The rain, which had been falling steadily as I made my way to Ball's Bridge, had stopped by kickoff, although it was to return by around half time. Uh, Ulster got things started towards the south stand, and for the entire first quarter, we had the tense cup rugby you'd expect from a match between teams who are both rivals and the top two in the league. 
Leinster seemed to have the edge when it came to kicking for territory, but we weren't able to do much with the advantage after opening the scoring with a Rossburn penalty in the second minute. Meanwhile, as Ulster's defense was holding us out, they pressured into losing a line out as well, which seemed like, and also what seemed like a big victory for Marty Moore over Keen Healy at a scrum around the 22, which led to John Cooney leveling the score at three apiece. The game was evenly poised as the clock ticked past the 20 minute mark, and there was a stoppage in play where the officials needed to look at a particular challenge, Tom. Yeah, uh, obviously, the, the one of the seminal moments of the first half was the Keen Healy red card. Um, I suppose the first thing, the strange thing about was this was two and a half minutes of play went on before, yep. Yep. before uh, you know, from the incident, from the time the referee stopped the play and, and it went all the way back uh, to review the incident, uh, which which is a bit unique. I don't think I've ever seen a, a situation where two and a half minutes and two and a half minutes in a rugby pitch of play is a long time. Uh, you know, that's not taken away from the from what happened to, you know, a genuine red card for me anyway. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, on review, uh, you know, I said at the time, um, you know, with no arguments. Um, in fairness to Christoph Ridley, you know, it's only, <clears throat> I was obviously at the game, but uh, when I looked again back, he, you could hear him very clearly talking to his officials. He, he you know, it was perfectly clear. He, he spelled it out. So anyone watching, you know, that might be just learning about the game or, 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 or you know, experienced fan, you know, it was, he explained it quite clearly, the, the, the different steps, how he came to a red card. And uh, yeah, look, it was a bit of a disastrous 90 seconds for Keane before that. He, he actually got pinged for a penalty for not rolling away that led to the penalty that led to the line-out that led to them all, that, or not them all, you know, the line-out where uh, Tom Stewart came around the corner. And Keane had loads of time to see him. Look, I'm not going to tell Keane Healy how to tackle. You just, you know, you go, you go too upright and he sort of had an upward upward motion as well. Um I haven't seen anybody from a Leinster side complaining that it was an unjust red card. Um, you know, you're encouraging guys to try and tackle lower. Um, and it did upset us for a while. You know, definitely, um, I'm sure it's something the coaches will work on tomorrow about how we reacted to that red card because um, like all, all professional teams would have drills on playing with 14 men and stuff in these scenarios. And um, uh, Leinster didn't react well, um, as we can probably talk about as the game develops on. Um, but yeah, genuine red card, no issues from 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 my point of view, or, or, or I think any, any anyone from Leinster. Absolutely, I mean they've 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 spelled. They, there are guidelines there. There's procedures that the referee is supposed to go through, and I think this ref did really well in this case. That uh, that he spelled out. I mean, is he 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 went through the guidelines as were given to him and said it out loud. This is what I've been given. Point of contact is head on head. We can confirm foul play. It's definitely an offensive tackle. There's no mitigation. Boom. It's all it's all it's all there for everyone to see. And if 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 they want to appeal, if there's want to be red cards afterwards, no. But this is my decision: red card and move on. Uh, Connor, yeah, it, it, and do you know what? It's one of those ones that is full on letter of the law red card. There's no malice in it. Mm. There's no intent for Keen Healy to go in and say, "I'm going to mess this guy up right now" or anything yeah. like that. But the letter of the law says no head contact. I mean, you, you'd have questions. I think the only thing I've heard anyone question is he's kind of just stationary. He's not really doing a whole lot. I think that's part of the problem. If he'd at least ducked to try and make, if he was ducking to try and make the tackle and the head contact happened, everyone would be saying, oh, this is outrageous. But he hasn't done anything. He's made no effort. And it's a letter of the law. And we have to go with that because that's what protects players. 
No, I mean, from the player's point of view, we know they're trying to stop the offload. We know they back themselves to make an accurate tackle, uh, standing up and to grab on the ball and whatever they're trying to do uh, by the upright. But the thing is, you, you, you make that decision, you're running the risk. And if you're running the risk, you got to own the consequences. And it's a classic example. And it was a, it was a straight red. There's no question of that. Okay, so now we had that, a major game-changing moment and Ulster were keen to capitalize. They put the penalty into the corner, giving them a line out 10 meters from the Leinster line. Obviously, Stewart had to go off because of the challenge. So Rob Herring was on and uh, he's no stranger to these situations, is he, Connor? No, he likes to score a try at the back of a mall. I mean, I know a few players like that, you know, where death taxes and certain people scoring tries in certain positions. Um, they, they had a really strong mall at that stage and we weren't doing enough to defend against it. They got momentum and they got enough of a shove on that I, I think the worst thing that happened in that whole thing is that as a few backs joined in and a few players getting sucked across. So I think whatever was going to happen, even if it hadn't come out the way it had, there was going to be a lot of space out wide for the ball to come out. and A lot of players not there to make their tackles. But what you see happen, if you watch it back on the replay, is James Ryan joining. And the second he's in, that's when Herring jumps out. It's like, there's a man who could tackle me if I move now. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. He's in. I'm gone. And Ross Byrne is the man left trying to defend. And from three, four meters out with a bit of pace and a bit of grunt, um, he got milled over and Herring goes over for a really good try. Yep, absolutely. It was just like that. And uh, Cooney slotted the conversion. So it was, now it was 3-10. And uh, shortly after the restart, there was a scrum, which meant Leinster had to sacrifice a player to replace our loose head. And Jimmy O'Brien was chosen to make way for Andrew Porter. But uh, not long after, when Ross Byrne was called for a high tackle, the Elstermen were to have another go at a line out, this time over on the grandstand side, Tom. Yeah, and it was, a, you know, just like uh, Connor mentioned with the, the herring try, it was a simple enough move. You know what I mean? There wasn't a whole lot of, um, it was just good exact rugby from 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 Ulster. It was just a simple line out. Uh, I think Timoney then McCluskey had some heavy carries. Um, also, were trying to work the Leinster defence left and right a little bit, and um, then Treadwell just barreled in for a, for a try. Like it, it, you know, there's no point in overcomplicating describing it. It was just a good simple move. Um, it it sort of touched on what I'd said earlier about how you know Leinster had reacted badly to the red card. Um, definitely open for that point. Um, and as you mentioned, though, it was a key moment in the game because Ulster went, you know, a few scores ahead. But it was also a key moment that Andrew Porter came on at that stage. So I think it's important to underline that point in the game that he had come on as well. Um, Ross Byrne um, didn't have a good first half for me. Um, he was forcing it a little bit. So did Gibson Park. I thought our halfbacks in the first half weren't poor. And, and I'm only mentioning that because, you know, Ross's tackle was a little bit lazy. He was a seatbelt tackle. You know, we were under pressure and it, it was just an easy pen. And, and we knew Ulster were going to go for them all again. Um, I think they mauled a lot against us up in Ravenhill. They weren't they weren't as exact that night. I know the conditions were worse. Um, but I think the inclusion of Henderson at sixth, um, coupled with um, Treadwell and O'Connor, there's a lot of beef in that that. Ulster pack now um, and I think they'll probably do something against La Rochelle as well um, given the physicality of that pack next week when they're playing that you could see Henderson again again at six so um, yeah no good try you know there's, you know, but I, I think it was coupled with the fact that Leinster were in a little bit of 
you know, the headspace for me was a, a little bit all over the place on, on what they were trying to do, uh, defence-wise especially, so... Yeah, I agree with you on the halfbacks. Um, and it wasn't even so much a decision-making problem. It was just a basic accuracy problem. I mean, they were, there was knock-ons and there was just, just the, you know, they were trying to do the right thing. They just did Gibson Park as well. They, they just weren't able to just to get it done. And um, it was it was given, given the opportunities back to back to Ulster every time. Um, so anyway, yeah, so uh, Cooney added the extras again, making it now 3.17 at the half-hour mark. And things were already looking bleak for Leinster, with the second line-out throw just evading uh, James Ryan's fingertips not helping. And when we looked to be putting together a decent amount of phases in the Ulster half, a Stu McCuskey tackle knocked the ball out of Jason Jenkins' hands to Alan O'Connor, and from there the visitors went on the counter-attack, Connor. Yeah, and that, that loss of the ball for Jenkins, I think uh, at that point, all I could say at the time was that it was too many little silly mistakes. Like you just mentioned, you know, a lot of little things just compounding. And as that ball gets ripped and, and like Tom was saying, you know, defensively, we just weren't right at that point. And the transition, which we're normally reasonably good at, you know, going from attack to defense or defense to attack, everyone's just caught watching, you know, it's, it's, it's like watching under tens, you know, they're all looking at the back of the rook waiting for, What's going to happen next instead of looking, where should I be? Where can I be? And, you know, you get a, a really nice bit of space opened up. And the only person chasing uh, was Jack Conan and Jamie Osborne. And Conan was never going to catch either of those two Ulster lads. Um, so more essentially had a two on one with a fella a little bit behind him, giving a chase. Um, and very neatly just waited for the waited for the little bit of bite and passed out to McElroy, who just cantered in fairly handily to to score the try. Um, but they really worked it well. I mean, they they used the transition so much better than we did. They went from defence to suddenly, oh, we have an opportunity, let's move it. They moved the ball quick. They got it to fast players, and off they went. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at this stage, I was just so deflated. I mean, I, I, I when I saw it, I, when I saw the replay, I noticed that knock on or not the knock on, but with the, the tackle, um, McCluskey grabs him and it looked like his hand knocked it out straight to O'Connor, which was ahead of him. But even then I was just like, nope, we're losing. We're getting tanked here. This is, uh, you know, I wasn't even going to complain, you know, it would be clutching at straws. 100%. For that, you know, you know it was just I, like, I think the whole crowd were deflated at that yeah. stage as he ran in. It, it was one of those tries where you sit there going, oh, crap, this is going to be a long night. Yeah, absolutely. Well, any, but uh, Cooney actually missed this conversion to make the score 322. And I, like I said, I can't speak for all Leinster fans, but at this stage I was switched into just win the second half modes uh, at, at, at that stage. But uh, then on 39 minutes, though, Jamie Osborne broke free into the Ulster 22, Tom. Yeah, I suppose, to, look, this is a score we obviously, you know, the cliche, we desperately needed to get something coming off the pitch at halftime. Um, and I think Ulster let us in a little bit there. I think Billy Burns had a poor enough clearance where he could have exited a lot better. Um, I don't know who was. I think it was Hugo Keane and Ryan back initially. And then um, Stuart McCluskey had a bit of a um, lazy seatbelt tackle on, on, on Jamie Osborne, who had made a good line break off the, off the following phase from, from Keenan's run. And um, like Leinster have done the majority of this season, um, they weren't going to take the three, you know, and the right call was to go to the corner. You know, you had to go swinging at this stage. And um, it was a simple line-out mall to, to Jack Conan. 
And again, I thought Ulster were very poor. When they look back at the 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 the, the mall the Leinster had set, it had they had some initial movement, uh, but Ulster did hold it for a little bit. But they only had John Cooney on the blindside defence. I think Ethan McElroy was just behind them all. But like when you had 15 v 14 and you stick your smallest player and probably your least defensive uh, equipped player just on the blind side uh, with somebody like Ronan Callagher obviously going to peel off. I thought it was, I, I, don't, I don't know what else they were thinking on, on that defensive setup. They could have easily had two on the blind side. It's not as if Leinster were going to go wide on the open side because we just didn't have the numbers. Um, so it was poor by Ulster, but by God, we were desperate to get it. Like, I was delighted that they opened the door and no better than than the, the Leinster Mall and the Leinster Hooker to, to get on the scoreboard. Um, so, yeah, I thought just that was error one for me for Ulster. Start, they opened the door and um, uh, Leinster definitely took it. And by God, we, did, we definitely needed it at that stage. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I, I, a cracking conversion by Ross Bourne, by the way, yep. just to... You know, these all things add up at the time. You don't know how the game was going to go. And, you know, burn off the tee was fantastic. Again, he's just such a good kicker of the football off the ground. So that was an important one to get in as well just before half time. Because, you know, five, seven, you know, five is great. Seven is fantastic. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, he's each time I, I'm I'm expecting him to make them at this stage. But yeah. I'm still I'm still in the back of my head. I'm going, no, 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 no. He's not doing it again. He's not going to do it again, is he? And then he pops it over like, you know, and for the try itself, you had um, uh, Kelleher crashing over, but you had to Gibson Park giving him a sort of a latch as well. I don't know how much help he actually gave him, but uh, that was funny. <laughs> well, he was he was getting on the tack as well. Connor, I, I was just going to say on Ross Burns kicking um, the, the gentleman I was sitting beside with Burns first kick said, oh, that's a big kick. And I think what I said at the time was, no, no, that's just a long kick. The big kicks will come later. And sure enough, that, that conversion is one of the big kicks. You know, it's shorter distance, but it's a big kick. Yeah, he's, and, and he's, he's, done it, he's done it loads of times over the years. And of course, he did it for, for Ireland in a match he wasn't even expected to play in just a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, we all know he's capable of it, but he's, he's, he keeps coming up trumps when, when, when we need him, you know? And uh, so, yeah, so that conversion uh, left the home fans with a sliver of hope uh, as we went into the break with the halftime score reading Leinster 10, Ulster 22. Now, like I said earlier, the rain started again during the break, but that didn't dampen Leinster's spirits as they seemed to find some momentum from that Kelleher try despite the interval. Ulster, for their part, already had a halfback issue from the first half. Billy Burns looked like he was struggling to shake off a knock, but then things got a bit more serious for their scrum half, Connor. Yeah, and you can only hope that he's not too badly hurt by what happened. Uh, there's been a lot of talk We'll call it talk. Uh, it's not the word I want to use for it, really. Um, a lot of talk about this particular incident. And I genuinely think that the talk comes from a place of, you know, anyone but Leinster. Um, I, I think if you're looking at two other teams in this situation, you're not going to have the same comments being made. But what happens is that Cooney comes in very upright. And I think that's, again, like we talked about it earlier, you're taking a risk when you come in upright for a number of reasons. And as he comes in to tackle low, um, low, you can see it when you watch the replay, low absorbs the impact with his arm. So he's got, going to put two hands on the ball, keep the ball safe, and the arm comes in. And as the arm comes in, he then springs it back. There's no leading arm. There's no leading hand, nothing. It's a push away. And that's all it is. And you watch the, the, the absorption of the force mm. first and then the push out. 
is why this is nothing more than a rugby incident. Um, I think the really unfortunate part is that as Cooney lands, that's what's really done the harm here. He's landed really badly. Um, I haven't heard the nature of what's up with him. I don't know, was it that he banged his head? Um, The commentary team on the night were suggesting that he'd hurt his back. Uh, It's hard to know until you get an injury update. Um, I I hope, I say, I hope he's not... Uh, I hope he's not hurt, um, but it is, it, it's just a rugby incident. That's all it is, and it can't be looked at as anything else. Yeah, and I mean, in, in terms of just the referee, again, um, whether you agree with him or not, he he spelled out what he saw, what he was seeing, and he actually said it. He said that uh, he, he's not, like you say, he's not lashing out. He, it's, it was after the contact. He was pushing away um, emotion rather rather than striking him, um, yeah. you know, and hitting him, hitting him with the movement of his arm. And he, he made that clear. And that was his call. And that was that. And we can move on from there. And it's just it's just unfortunate, you know, for, for Cooney. And we were saying in our preview um, that. The, the, the battle of the nines was going to be one of the critical elements of the, of the game. And like I said, Gibson Park didn't have a great first half and Cooney was pretty much the center of, of everything that uh, Ulster were, 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 were doing there. So that was a big loss for them. Although Nathan Doak has done well for them as well, but it was, uh, it, it was, it was a, it was a big loss for them as well. And uh, obviously we hope it, it, it was an unfortunate incident for him and uh, we, we hope he's okay. We'll see, we'll see what happens during the week. But um, just a minute after all of that, there was yet another battle kicking between the two sides until a big Andrew Pointer Jackal halted an Ulster attack to really get the ca- get the crowd going. And although this opportunity led to nothing, it was clear the home side regained control with a good sequence up the touchline orchestrated by Gibson Park, plus some big hits coming in from Ryan Baird and James Lowe. But the clock was kick- ticking towards the 60-minute mark when a couple of penalties put us in a tap-and-go situation five metres from the line, Tom. Yeah, I thought, um, I, I, for me, looking at the second half and this sort of, this series of plays sort of that led up to Ringrose's try, you know, epitomised the change in Leinster. Um, you know, we spoke in, about the first half when McElroy scored that try, that um, how we, we thought Leinster reacted badly to the red card. Um, but there was a definitely a, call it a Johnny Sexton moment in the dressing room by somebody at halftime because... Uh, that's what you have to admire about Leinster's coaching brains and 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 the players on the pitch. There was definitely a tactical change where we just weren't going to target the Ulster Rook anymore because you know if we did attack, we we were targeting it in numbers in the first half, and that's how we got caught out wide for McElroy. So we were putting one in, and Ulster were having to put three in to clear. So it was always going to be a case of we were evenly matched, and Ulster started to really run out of ideas, um, and that's why you know people complain about box kicking. Ulster box kicked a lot in the first half or the second half because they were they ran out of ideas because Leinster all of a sudden had fanned out defence, were sort of mirroring the, the Ulster attack. And the job basically of the tackler was to get back on their feet as quickly as possible. And, and the best way I can describe it is a mixture of sumo wrestling and rugby league bucklepping in around the rock just to make it as awkward as hell for Ulster to slow that ball down. Obviously, Josh van der Fleer is superb at that. He just drills through the rock. And it takes two or three. And then all of a sudden, if it takes two or three to tear at the tackler. So that really, for me, was, was key in that second half, how, how the momentum in the game shifted um, tactically. Um, Leinster changed it up. And that began to give us a bit more ball because Ulster were kicking it away. As, he, as you said, for, for this one, it ended up with a, you know, a, a pick and drive on, 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 on the line. There was some huge carries there by, um, by uh, Dan Sheehan. I think there was three or four in that, um, 
that that cycle of play before before eventually um, the ball was swung out to, to Ringrose um, and with his trademark sort of step off the right pirouette <laughs> spin that uh, I'm sure I would do two hips if I even tried to do it myself. Um, he sort of bamboozled Hume and um, and just ghosted in. And I, you know, I thought Ringrose leadership throughout the, you know, he was one calm head, I think, on the pitch. He's, he's, he's turned out to be a real senior. Not that we ever doubted before, but I think you're seeing it more of it this season or or maybe we're just noticing it more because he's such a quiet guy. He's a definite leader on the pitch and, and you know, his second half performance really epitomised as much as anybody else's. He, he, if he had got man of the match, I think no one would have batted an eyelid either. Um, but obviously then again, it's, you know, in the, in the act of scoring the try, you know, we had an incident with, um, with, with James Hume and as Connor mentioned before about the, you know, the Cooney and the low, once you go up and upright like that, even though he was wrong footed, um, you run the risk, you know, this was the third incident of this game. Um, there was a touch of the Ireland v New Zealand again with uh, Ringrose and the, and the, the, the Groot, I think was the prop. I'm not sure. Or Lomax. I forget which one of them was, it was the prop for New Zealand. Um, but again, if you're upright and there's the head clash and, and again, in fairness to Christoph Ridley, he explained it well. And, 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 and how the mitigation was brought down from, from a red, um, he, he was very clear. So, you know, I thought, I thought his communication on the night, when I re-looked at the match was, was superb on, on how on explaining how it was dangerous, how he was upright, how there was a you know a bit of force and but but he brought it down a level because because of Ringrose double right off a step off his feet. And um yeah it was it was at that stage um definitely the the wind of the game had turned Leinster's way. Um as I described earlier on I just thought Tactically, Leinster were, were dealing with Ulster in a different fashion, and Ulster probably have to look at themselves how they reacted, you know, um, because they went into a bit of panic mode, I thought, and, and ran out of a little, definitely ran out of ideas midway through that second half. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, what you say about Ridley's description of what happened, I mean, effectively, the translation of what he said was ring row step was just too damn good. Uh, it, it was it was so good that that saved Hume from a red card almost. You know what I mean? Because if he'd been straighter, if he hadn't have, if he hadn't been able to step at such an angle, um, he probably would have been a more direct collision, and uh, it could it could have been worse for him. So uh, it's a, it was a, it was a, it was interesting the way that happened. But I I still think I I didn't have a lot of complaints with that call, especially when it's being explained. Uh, yeah. the, the way it is, you know, absolutely. So the conversion made it 1722 now. So we were within a converted try. And, and now, of course, personnel was level as well with a full 20 minutes left on the clock. And it wasn't long before yet another portal jackal got us back into the Ulster half where we set up, um, shall we say, an interesting mall, Connor. Yeah, very unusual mall where. I, I don't know how it worked out the way it did. I, I've watched it a couple of times trying to figure out how this breakaway happens. But you can hear the ref and he immediately calls balls at the front. Hmm. So the mall has been created by the Ulster players being involved, but the ball is still at the front of the mall as Vanderfleer, Jenkins and Furlong suddenly break through and start barreling along. But because it's still a mall, uh, Timoney tries to uh, to tackle. He, he, you hear it. You hear it on the, the ref mic. You can actually hear him say uh, advantage. That's a that's for the bin. That's number eight. He, but but he calls it. He just calls the numbers like that's uh, that's a mall advantage to the bin number eight, and waits for everything to progress. And 
as it gets brought down and the, the, the cover comes in for the rook, it's a couple of phases. And again, ring rose stepping, like just, it was lovely. He, he steps a couple, he throws a dummy on one, steps again, and then straight through. Uh, I think he steps Burns last. And I said it from about 30 minutes in, Burns looked hurt. I don't know why he was on the pitch as long as he was. I think we should have been targeting him all game. The minute he had the ball, hit him, hit him, hit him. Run at him when you've got the ball yourself and just keep demolishing him uh, because he wasn't he wasn't 100% and it would have been a place we would have made really, really good yards throughout that second half. Um, and, and you see it there. Ring Rose comes through and uh, steps him and leaves him for dead. You can see the frustration even on Burns as he's <laughs> he's left sitting on the floor waving his hands, trying to figure out what's going on as as Gary's dotting it down. And it was a really, really well-worked try. Yeah, I mean, uh, like you, it's interesting what you say about Burns. I mean, he was carrying a knock, like we said, but uh, and they did bring a, a, a 6-2 split of a bench, but it's not like they didn't have an option there. They could put Larry in a 10 and mm-hmm. Stockdale could have gone to full back. So it did... Don't understand what they were thinking there, leaving, leaving him on, but maybe thinking already having lost Cooney. Um, even, I mean, previous, prior to that, you might have even considered saying, okay, Doke to 10, where yeah. they played him before, and, you know, while Cooney had still been on. But whatever that injury was, and it looked to be hamstring maybe, um, he was carrying it for a lot of the game, and that didn't help. I think the other thing worth mentioning for that try is that at this stage, Henderson is gone. And I think that made a big difference for the mall, for us. We were able to get more yards, able to get more power into it. Um, so it was a big advantage for us from that point of view. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there was, there was yeah. talk yeah. to me of a flying wedge, you know, mm. you know that, they call it a flying wedge. But uh, the ref was right. So like Ulster players just fell it off. It was still the same mall as, as Connor described. Mm. Um, and it's not a wedge. That's a, different, that's a different move, even though it looks the same in open play, but it's what happened before is more important. And um, but you're right, and Connor, as Connor mentioned, so Ridley did well to spot Timoney's infringement because he blatantly pulled it down. Yeah, um, you know, and it was good. Sometimes the try they don't go back. Off, yeah, get, it gets people yeah. off. The and um, you know, they, they, he was right to call it back. You know, so it was good to see. But anyway, so yeah, so that uh, conversion meant we had now somehow sneaked back into the lead, 24 to 22, with a man advantage of our own for another five or six minutes. Although Ulster did start to get some territory themselves during the spell before Gibson Park made up for a knock on in his own 22 by making a big tackle on Dwayne Vermillion behind his scrum before he helped Hugo Keenan chase a ring rose clearance, tackling Ulster into touch way down at the other 22. From there, we seemed determined to put some more scores on the board, Tom. Yeah, you're, as you touched on, Ulster actually did well when they were down to 13. They killed the clock pretty well, and it was a little bit frustrating from our point of view for a good five or six minutes. Ulster kicked a lot better in possession. The kicks were a lot shorter and more contestable. We had a couple of knock-ons, and they were happy to take their time, obviously, with 13 against 14 men. So I thought Ulster actually did. That was one part of the second half where they did do well. Um, but I think before that, it was just a crack and read by uh, young Jamie Osborne. Really got the turnover. That and I think there was a ringer again was the man with the boot this time and he hit that long clearance down the side and it was a hell of a chase by Keenan and Gibson Park I don't know who I think it was McElroy maybe they barreled over the line um, and it was like a 60 metre turnover turnaround um, I thought the longer the game went on Jamie Osborne started to play come more and more into it um, because he was up against a good centre partnership in McCluskey and Hume you know what I mean so uh, the more the game went on the, the, the better he got 
Um, but at this stage, you know, we had Doris come on as well at this stage and the rotation, I noticed just from the result in the line out, um, the rotation of the carriers Lancer have was was full, you know, it's Heineken Cup level stuff, you know. If you've Porter on at you for long, Doris, and then it's coming back out to, 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 to Maloney, had a big carry, and James Ryan um, and Josh. It was just, you know, Ulster were just couldn't handle that physicality. Ryan Baird, I thought, had a massive game overall. He was one of our better players, again, over the, the, the 80 minutes. He had some huge carries, got close to the line. And look, cliche again, you're not going to stop Andrew Porter from whatever, one and a half metres out. Um yeah, but it, it just it was a. I know we got a try after, which which Connor will touch on. But you know, I just thought the physicality Leinster brought for that try just was the underlying of that second half. It was just like, um, and strangely enough, you could see Ulster were actually having a mini arguments amongst themselves behind the line when 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 Ross was going to take the conversion. So at that stage, the game had gone for Ulster. Um, you know, there was a little bit of finger pointing going on, and and and. You know, we, I spoke about how Leinster reacted poorly to the red card initially, but you know, Ulster definitely reacted badly to 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 their situation with their yellow cards, and and maybe that's where the little bit of bickering Kim, Kim was going on under the post. I'm not sure what was going on, but uh, yeah, for for me, just that physical dominance up front, it's just that rotation of heavy carriers that Leinster have. Not many teams are able to do it, um, because they're all big, they're all um athletic and. Their, their handling skills with the ball is fantastic. So Ulster just ran out of defenders and ran out of physicality for that try. Yeah, definitely. And um, I mean, Porter went on to get player of the match. And, you you know, you, you look at the country, especially in the second half, like you said, a lot of carries, two big jackals, and of course the try. Um, you, it's, it's, it is hard to argue, but you, you know, you can make a case for uh, Ryan Baird. You can make a case for Gary Ringrose, like we said. And I don't mind having that discussion because that's a good discussion to have. You know, we had three or four players in your team that could have been player of the match. I mean, I'm not going to, not going to make complaints about, about saying that. And okay. So the conversion now gave us a handy nine point cushion, although not long after the restart, Hugo Keenan got us back on the front foot again, Connor. Yeah, um, Keenan with a great break, and McCarthy, who was on at this stage for Gibson Park, running a really good support line. Um, and I think, again, you know, we've talked about players who could have been player of the match. Just even looking at how Ringrose protects the rook in the build up to this, you know, he's in, he's on top of it, he's got it so secure, he's not worried at all about any Ulster man who might be coming at him. Um, as Keenan comes in, passing it in. It was a funny pass. I didn't know who it was going to. And suddenly Doris had it with a big load of space in front of him. And Ulster players a little bit slow to close it. And they did eventually. They dragged him down about a metre short. And at that stage, it was just a matter of who was going to score and in what kind of fashion. And you kind of figured, oh, here comes another forwards one and pick and go, pick and go. But... um. I think it was great. Ross Byrne looks up, sees all the Ulster defences looking in. They're all across the pitch. There's a huge amount of space and he fires one out really well, right into James Lowe's open and waiting arms to just, and he, and he walked that try in. He walked across the line and casually gave him a little wave as he dotted it down. And, and I love to see that. I mean, like, J- James Lowe's the kind of player you want on your team because no matter what's happening, he's smiling at you. And it pisses you off so much when you're on the on the receiving end of that, and watching him do that, watching him go, "Woo, yeah, hey guys!" You, know, mm. you yeah. just you couldn't help but be happy in that moment, even if 
even if that had only been a consolation try, it would have been a really well worked try. But the fact that it's the one that guarantees no losing bonus point was a real. I, I really was happy about that, and um, you, you flagged it in in the in the chat earlier. At that point, Ulster were back to fifteen. Mm. Ulster were back to fifteen, and we still created all that space for Lowe to be able to stroll over. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I, I like as I watched it, I was thinking, you know, the numbers were going up and down all through the match and whatever. I just assumed that one of those yellows was still in operation, but no. Watching it back, we were, they were actually back to the full complement, and uh, uh, Timoney came back on after that Porter try, and so we were actually or. So we were actually back to uh, being a man down with all that space. That just shows how kind of deflated Ulster must have been at that stage to to, to left that gap out there. But um, anyway, there was another outstanding touchline conversion from Ross Byrne after that as well. Uh, that made a 38-22. And although the Ulstermen did manage to find enough offloading to put them down at the line for a Sam Carter try, it was, of course, way too late for them to earn any more than the one bonus point. And we saw it the remaining seconds to make the final score. Leinster 38, Ulster 29. So now it's just time to give a few final thoughts, starting with yourself, Tom. Well, first and foremost, what a bloody fantastic game. Like, you know, I, we're spoiled sometimes as Lancer fans. You turn up like the week before we, it was 40 points against Glasgow. And by half time, you know, the game is one or 20 minutes in. And um, it just for the URC and for an Interpro and for Irish rugby, it was just, I'm sure Ulster fans who might say it different given the end results, but it was just a, first and foremost, it was an absolutely cracking game. It sort of had everything, a bit of drama as we've spoken on throughout the game. Um, from an answer point of view, it was ideal prep for me uh, for heading to La Harve. Like for years, the Interpros used to be on just before the first round of the Heineken Cup when it was back in the old pool of four. And it always stood, um, it was a high intensity game as, as Interpros generally are, and it always stood Leinster well. So um, I think Leinster getting that win <clears throat> before heading to Harv next week, you know, whatever confidence they have from nine wins in a row, you know, that this this is another sort of explanation point behind that um, for them. Um, I thought overall from an, from an Ulster point of view, I think obviously they'll be disappointed. Some of their play, um, I thought Ulster's kicking from hand all match was terrible. Um, and their back play position was poor enough. I thought their back three still have to get sorted out. Leinster found green grass a lot of the time from their clearing kicks. And people might get frustrated going, why the hell are we kicking? But you're, tr- you're trying to get into their half and force them to make an error. And it is 14 against 15. So Ulster's back play position, I thought, just gave us an out all the time. And if slowly but surely that, de- that developed into sort of um, territory. Um, that's something they'll have to sort out. I thought initially uh, Leinster reacting to the, we spoke on it, Leinster reacting to the red wasn't great. That's something to work on. But I just thought, again, the tactical change of how we were going to approach Ulster with when they had the ball and what we were going to do around their rook was was key on 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 sort of winning this game. Um, there was no way they want to get round us again, uh, like they did for the McElroy try. And uh, yeah, look, it was just you know nine wins in a row or nine wins in the out of the you know top of the league now by whatever number of points in the half halfway mark now we we are in the regular season for the URC. Um, We've, we've spoken on some of the key guys that had big games. You know, um, I thought Gibson Park had a way better second half. Um, but Ringrose, Baird and Porter were the three key guys. But but it was a real collective. Um, like when you win a game like that, it's just from a rugby point of view, it's just fantastic. You know, yeah. just come back from 
what seemed like a desperate situation when the third Ulster try went in and how we were looking on the pitch to, to a bonus point win is, you know, and denying them, as Connor mentioned, a losing bonus point was just brilliant. Yeah, definitely. Brilliant. Yeah, and no, just on, on the kicking, I mean, you, you do hear people complain about the kicking, about, you know, kicking too much, but the, it's, it's, it's all about when you complain. I mean, if you're going to complain just when they kick it, just because they're kicking it, you're not, it's not making any sense if you're smart with it. And it's a, there's a difference between, well, we use the phrase kick tennis, but there's a difference between a kick tennis and a kick battle. And a battle is when you're actually doing it uh, tactically to gain advantage. I think Leinster, not just in this game, but a lot of games this season, we've won these battles and um, we ended up with actually possession further down the pitch than when we started. And it's been, we've been smart with it. Well, well Ulster kicking to Hugo Keenan all night is, yeah. you know, ridiculous. I don't understand. And, and couple that with, I thought they're very poor positioning in the back three. It just, if you look, if you just looked at the, the highlights of that game, just around the kicking, Leinster won a 10 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Ulster's hardly won a battle. A couple of times went down to 13 men, their kicking was better, as we mentioned. There was, it was the Doak was getting good height and and uh, it was a lot heavier rain in the second half. Um, but overall, yeah, it's, it's an area Ulster definitely have to work on. Yeah, definitely. Final thoughts, Connor? Yeah, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to add anything to what Thomas said. You know, it, it's, it's the kind of preparation you want. You know, you're going against a strong team in Racing, a team who, you know, they're not, they're not here to mess about. You know, they're not just making up numbers. Um, you want to be tested before that. You want to be going in with good headspace, with a win, with a, a good mentality. I mean, I think when, when the red card happened, and even before the red card happened, we just, the, the mentality wasn't there. We weren't in the right headspace as a collective team to be going out and getting a win. Um, I, I wasn't seeing where we were being creative or how we were going to make anything happen. And there were so many of those little mistakes. But then to come out afterwards and say, okay, that half happened. Now let's just build, let's win every moment and then get the scoreboard ticking over. And I think that's that's really what worked well. You could see we can we can win this, we can win this kick battle, we can win that turnover, we can win this rook, we can win this scrum. And those little moments all just add up. And that's what they've got to keep in their heads now, I think, for next week. You know, there'll be a lot of those little battles. Um, but, you know, I think the only player after this weekend, I think the only player will be without from what we had starting uh, against Ulster will be obviously Kean Healy. But other than that, you know, that's a, there's a lot of players there, a lot of fellas who want to put their hand up, a lot of guys who want to say, pick me instead. So I think there's going to be good competition at training during the week and roll on the weekend against Strassing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head, both of you. It's, 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 it's all very well known you can win um, if, you're, if you're definitely better than the team you're playing, like we are a lot of weeks, that you can put 50, 60 points on them. But uh, it's the matches where you start poorly and you're, you're, you're put up to a challenge. We'd never expect it to be this big a challenge, but um, put up to a challenge and have a problem to fix and then, and then be able to fix it. Um, it's, 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 it's almost perfect preparation for, cause it's a, it's a trickier draw we have this year for, for, and then there's only four, only four games for the practical all cup finals as well. So uh, that's a d- definitely good preparation. So we'll see how that goes next week. Okay. So now it's time to look at a few more um, full-time takes. These are comments left on social media, right at the full-time whistle. Uh, first from our, Facebook page, we had uh, Chris McDonald saying, it's days like this that make being a Leinster supporter worthwhile. A magnificent 1 to 23. 
And then Shawn Michaels said, I thought Lowe had a good game after such a long spell injured. He has obviously taken time to work on the areas of his game that were seen as a weakness. He looked hungry and aggressive and deserved his try. So that's Facebook. Uh, on Twitter, uh, Ian Frizzell, who was on the pod there during the week, a big Ulster fan, said, uh, I'm as deflated now as I was inflated when we went 22-3 up. But that Leinster performance in the second half has been one of the best I've seen. Fair play to Ian for that. And uh, Jackie McCausland, who's definitely a Leinster fan, said, uh, after that start, it's a very satisfying result. The lads show some great character in the second half. Have to be happy with a bonus point win with 14 men for most of the game. It's definitely true. And then finally on Mastodon, we had um, Richard Massoud, a regular contributor to the show. He said, uh, most pleasing was the relentless pursuit of the win. Ringer is some player, isn't he? He definitely is. And uh, finally, we had, uh, this is Koo Cullen. This is beginning with a K. Koo Cullen with a K said, uh, Leinster are so innovative. They have reinvented the game of two halves. That's a great way of putting it there. So um, as always, um, if you haven't yet joined the social media conversation for Leinster matches, why not give it a go? I tend to go on Mastodon before the match these days, although we still do post the full-time thoughts over on the Facebook page. So now it's time to do a full wrap of uh, the URC round nine, the results from the weekend. And uh, the results were as follows. Sharks 25, Ospreys 10, Edinburgh 17, Munster 38, Stormers 34, Dragons 26, Zebra 17, Glasgow 45, Connor 38, Benetton 19, Bulls 45, Cardiff 9, Leinster, of course, 38, Ulster 29. And finally, on Sunday, there was the Lions 32, Scarlets 15. And after nine rounds at the halfway stage of the URC, with a couple of games uh, held over to still to be played to make up, uh, the standings look like this. The top eight is, of course, Leinster in first place with 43 points. The Bulls have moved up to second with 34. The Stormers also have 34. They're third, but they have a game in hand. Ulster have slipped down to fourth. They're 31, though also with a game in hand. The Lions also have a game in hand. They're in fifth on 24 points. Then you've got Edinburgh with 23, Cardiff with 22, and Munster move into the top eight with 22. Just behind them are Glasgow, 20 with a game in hand. The Sharks are 19 with two games in hand. And then finally, Connett are in 11th with 19, and the rest round off the, the league then. So that's how the league is looking. Uh, there's a, Obviously, the uh, Heineken Cup is back next week. But uh, the URC, just to say, returns at Christmas time um, on Friday, December 23rd in round 10, sees all matches between uh, teams from the same country. It's a full round of uh, derby matches, which is always which is what you want to see around that time of the year. So you've got the Sharks against the Lions, the Stormers against the Bulls on the 23rd. Uh, Glasgow play Edinburgh, the 1872 Cup. Uh, at Scottstown, and then you've got an Interpro as well on that day. It's Connett against Ulster. Then on the Saturday, you've got the Italian Derby, Benetton hosts Zebra. And then finally, on Stevens Day, you've got uh, two Welsh Derbies. You've got Dragons hosting Cardiff and Ospreys against Scarlets. And then finally, of course, the big one down in Thoman, Munster against Leinster. So that's what's uh, that's what's ahead in the URC. Right, lads, that's brilliant. We're going to leave it there for now. Many thanks again to Tom and Connor for joining me, and we hope to talk to you both again soon. Cheers, Jeff. Thanks, lads. So that's it for this week. Be sure and subscribe to our podcast feed if you haven't already. And keep an eye on our website, harpinandrugby.com, for all our features during the week, starting with my 80-plus column on Tuesday, where I give my final thoughts on the week of rugby just gone. Next, we turn our attention to the Heineken Champions Cup, and I'll be chatting to France-based journalist Ikta Daffid during the week about Racing 92 season so far. Then, as ever, we'll have the preview show on Friday before the match wrap on the Sunday evening. As always, feel free to send us your thoughts. Email us at pagadoblog at gmail.com or get us on any or all of 
of our social media platforms. You'll find the links in the program notes. Until next time, stay safe, everyone. Slan.